0: in the way we run a business, in our everyday lives. We are creative all the time. Let's talk about how we are creative and how creativity helps us heal mentally, physically, and emotionally, right now on the Creative Soul Healing Podcast. Hi everyone, Larissa Russell of Creative You Healing and welcome to the Creative Soul Healing Podcast. Today I have with me Eric Christensen, Eric is an acclaimed documentarian who has built his brand around socially responsible filmmaking that educates, inspires, and heals. Eric, a seven time Southwestern Region Emmy Award recipient, explores the impact of trauma, the resilience of the human spirit, and how a powerful platform for hope can be built to help trauma survivors begin the vigilant journey of healing. A trauma survivor himself, Eric worked through the loss of his home and possessions in the Painted Cave Fire by creating his first. Film Faces in the Fire 25 years ago. All of his films, Faces in the Fire, Homecoming, Vietnam Vet's Journey, Searching for Home, Coming Back for More, have been transformative in the recovery process for thousands of people whose lives have been compromised mentally, spiritually, and physically by trauma. Leveraged as educational tools by top mental health institutions, Eric's films migrate from the entertainment arena into environments that help additional audiences navigate the profound collateral damage trauma creates not only on the individual, but the family and community as well. Throughout his career, Eric has also created content for major networks, including Discovery, TLC, PBS, MTV, and IMAX Film. Wow. Welcome, Eric.
1: (laughs) Hi, Larissa. This is great to be here. I'm really excited to chat today.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. That that bio is pretty impressive, I have to say. Pretty impressive. Yeah,
1: it's 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 pretty wordy.
0: (laughs) That's that's the print copy. We should
1: chase he's made four personal films that are about trauma recovery and grief recovery. And he's had a a long, fairly long career in documentary and commercial filmmaking and starting back in second grade.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That might have been easier to read. Uh, so can you then share some of your story and the path that's brought you to where you are?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, you just read off a lot of it, but you know, the, the key part is, you know, this is something I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, I'm working on my fourth film right now. And the, what I call my fourth film, it's my personal projects, the things, my calling, the things that really are connected with me. And I've done four of these projects. I'm on my fourth one now. And going into the post-production on this, You know, it it does make me kind of reflective. You know, it goes back to a little kid on the playground in second grade with a regular eight film camera um, making a safety movie. It was my first movie with a script, you know, and and really that's, it's all I've ever wanted to do. This is the part that's interesting to me is, you know, gosh, almost 40 something years ago, more. (laughs) I, I, as a kid, I I knew there was some message I had that I was supposed to get out and, and it was in me, but I never knew what it was. And it took, it was several, well, I was about what 25 years old or so. I lost my home in the painted cave fire disaster in Santa Barbara, California. And I was working as an editor and a filmmaker and I was doing commercials and lots of music videos, very flashy stuff. But then, you know, my, my foundation was knocked out from underneath me, you know, and to add to that, <laughs> I was drinking and drugging abnormally um, to, ex- to excess. And uh, that was really my calling card is uh, when, when I lost all my person, you know, my material, you know, things in this world. And uh, it took me seven months to kind of figure out, you know, and, and going through my own personal That was really my trauma afterwards. It wasn't the fire as much as what I did to myself after the drinking and drugging and getting so lost and hopeless. But um, about seven months into that, that's when the woman, that's my wife now, gave me this card with this guy's name on it and said, hey, if you're tired of doing this, you know, this guy has outpatient program and he also has, you know, a way out. So I went to go visit this guy, Don R. And that was the start of my journey, you know, and January 13th. (laughs) 1991 was my first sober day. And then out of that was born my film Faces in the Fire. And uh, naively, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, it's amazing how I can talk to other survivors and other people in recovery. You know, it was my first year of recovery too. And I was just such a newbie at everything. And I'm like, I'd been an editor and a director. I'm like, I could make a documentary film. And I, I made this film called Faces in the Fire. And I gathered all these people, worked with the American Red Cross and told their stories, not about the fire necessarily. It was about the recovery the year after. And we premiered it on the anniversary of the fire one year later in Santa Barbara. And um, it went on to not only win my first Emmy Award, but it went on to, which was more important to me. It was picked up by the National Institute of Mental Health and put into their catalog, so counselors and uh, people coming into disaster situations could better understand the survivors and assist them in their mental health needs. And uh, then I was kind of hooked. So I was—it was off to the races after that. I—I I, I got a lot of other work, but it never really touched me until I went back to that, and my next personal film, Homecoming of Vietnam Vets Journey. And I can go on and on with this kind of story, but that was my second film, Homecoming Mm -hmm. of Vietnam Vets Journey.
0: And I think it's really interesting that it's that catalyst moment that takes us to what we're really meant to do. And for you, that was recovery journey that you took.
1: You know, isn't that amazing? And I think you can see it. Oh, yeah, you can. Right, right back there. Oh, let's see where... Right back there, if unfortunately these people listening might not see it, photograph right there is a photograph of the fire, mm-hmm. of, of that fire that took my house. And and people are like, that's kind of macabre to have that in there. But to me, it's not. It is exactly what you said. It was the catalyst to me. I mean, it's the Phoenix kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It, it was that whole thing started this whole process. So I I put that up there to remind me that seemingly the worst days when your house burns down, ends up being the silver lining to something because without that I wouldn't have gotten clean and sober. I wouldn't I wouldn't have my wife now and three amazing I call them kids. <laughs> They're not kids anymore, 19 to 24. And I wouldn't have four films that literally millions of people have seen and have been affected by. So mm-hmm. that fire, yeah, it, it's it's amazing to look back at that.
0: And and we we don't think of those things when we're going through that that horrible no. whatever's happening to us, right? That our bottom. You know, then- it's,
1: it's, it's funny. I was talking to a friend of mine and you have all these great say- sayings that, you know, keep pushing and on the other side is great stuff and all these, you know, you see them on Facebook. That's not exactly what they say, but you have all these great sayings and it's really easy to like look at the saying and go, oh yeah, but when you're actually going through it and you're in the middle of it, it sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but, but after you've been through it enough times and no, then you're like, you know, this does really is not too comfortable, but I think God has a plan for me after this. It seems <laughs> so fitting. easy in retrospect, everything does, mm-hmm. you know, but it's yeah. not,
0: <laughs> but it's not in the moment. It's not. So, so then what does healing with creativity mean to you?
1: Oh my gosh. I saw that question on what you sent to me and that made me really, made me really think, you know. I see people in my films heal through creativity. You know, one of the two people come to mind right away. And then I'll talk about my own personal experience because each film is healing for me. There's a woman named Becky who's a 9-11 survivor. And uh, I mean, she literally ran out of, I think it was Tower 2 when it was beginning to collapse and ran through the chaos and lost her shoes and this whole thing. and But she she paints and her first paintings when she started painting were a little bit dark you know and now she her whole style is changing and she's and you know it's almost 20 years later from 9/11 and she's still working through it that's the thing about trauma what's the mechanism in there you know the mechanism is i think it there's these these scars on our soul from trauma and from things that happen to us and i think we slowly work through them and one of the best ways is our craft our art to get it out it takes a little bit of it away it takes the rough edges off it takes it lets that scar kind of soften maybe a little bit by getting things out you know and then there's there's Sandra Lee and she was a female iraqi veteran she also suffered military sexual trauma in the military and uh she acts and she's a stage actress and being able to put that mask on and be somebody else for that time really takes this edge off of her and she's able to project other things and work through her own feelings by projecting as somebody else. Mm -hmm. And again, I say for me and my personal kind of how I see it, I see everything kind of figuratively or visually. I see that scar softening. I see it taking a little bit of it away. And one thing I've learned, you know, it never fully goes away. The hurt never really goes away. Dr. Catherine Shears from um, Columbia University, who's in my film, said this, is we learn how to incorporate it into our lives. And it becomes part of our lives. That's why memorials are so important. And art is a big part of memorials. Creating the art of the memorial and, and or taking your art to the memorial. That's one thing we did with the uh, mass shooting survivors. We painted rocks and took it to the memorial. It's all very important part of the process of healing. And then for me personally, being able to connect and having these connections and being able to maybe even instigate a bit more healing for these folks or open them up at mass shooting survivors up to a memorial in in Vegas with the rocks that we've gathered together and painted and let them place them in the memorial. Watching that and helping somebody else is probably one of the biggest things for me as far as me. I I don't even want to say healing. I grow because Mm -hmm. of it. And so Mm -hmm. man, it's a beautiful process.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we were talking about this just before we started about process and how it's the important part. And that's one of the things I talk about constantly is it's not the finished product necessarily i mean documentaries and you're sharing them with audiences that can that can benefit from that hey the finished product is is kind of important but the growth and the healing that you and others go through through the process of making that documentary is huge right absolutely oh, huge.
1: you know it's really to me almost 50 percent of the film or maybe even more You know, I tell the people that are coming on as crew, I'm like, it's the participants and individuals that are in the film all about them, number one. And us being transparent and creating an environment where they can feel comfortable, they can start to heal, they can tell their story. Then the film's secondary. And it's kind of cool because like, I look back on Searching for Home, Coming Back from War, my third film, and I look at all the friends I made and all the connections and I watch them grow. I look at Mike Pyre now, an Iraqi uh, veteran. He was a tank commander and He drove a tank in Iraq and drove over, I don't know how many IEDs. And he was put in some horrific situations. But um, I look at him now and see his growth and see him, you know, in a happy marriage. They have a two-year-old little boy now. And, you know, it's, it's just that really is... Wow. That's just, that's amazing. And it's neat to talk about the film, the film, you know, 12 million people saw it and everything, but that experience of making these friends and, uh, and moving through this and actually being having the healing as part of the film uh, uh, the process is a big thing to what we do i'm not just trying to capture and and that's why i go back to i'm like i'm not crazy about being called a filmmaker you know i'd like to be called an artist that is a messenger and a healer in a way you know or assistant healer or whatever i assist that help people get to a place where they can start to do that and then guess what oh wow we made a film too <laughs> it's like it wasn't that cool
0: <laughs> yeah sometimes those outcomes are, are an extra benefit but the process absolutely
1: mm-hmm, exactly
0: yeah so can you speak to us a little bit about uh cal arts in the 80s and how that experience affected you and and your work
1: oh my gosh you know it's so the longer i'm out of there the more i appreciate the time I was there you know it was a short about two and a half years but it changed my life and it still does today you know Ed Bell he graduated two years after me I didn't even know him at CalArts but he does some of the animation in my film there's some animation and Unmasking Hope and a couple other people attached to the film and that are supporting me Ben Benedetti and a couple other amazing people we call ourselves the CalArts Mafia you know and then of course there's Andrew Stanton. That did Toy Story, and then Pete Doctor that did Monsters, Inc. and continues, he just finished Soul. And uh, these are all graduates that were at Keller Arts at my time that were my friends. But there was something special that was there at that time. And I was supposed to go to USC. (laughs) My dad was a USC alumni. I wanted to get into the film school and they're like, come in as English, transfer later. And I was actually all set to go there. And then I was accepted into CalArts and I went to CalArts and I go, oh my gosh, these are my people. I've never felt that kind of community. I've never felt that kind of community. (laughs) I'm constantly looking for it again because we're all there to do our art, to try to change what we can and support each other. And it was a very catalytic time, I guess you could say. And again, being friends with Andrew Stanton who went on to do such amazing work with Pixar and just being around other amazing individuals. But not only that, the one thing it taught me as an artist is all the different crafts, all the different modalities of art. You know, it really opened my eyes. You know, not only was I doing film, but then I would go to a fine art gallery opening. Then the next thing I'm doing, I'm watching a modern dance piece that has just really kind of strangely out there or a performance art piece or somebody doing music And the airplane cowling. There was this guy that had this huge round airplane cowling off the front of a jet and he would put marbles in different sizes and then they would roll around while he played it. And it it was freaking amazing. I'm like, wow. But not only that, but I learned how other people process and how art works that way and how the dancer processes, how the actor processes, how the musician processes, how their work comes about and how we're all doing the same thing. So when I do my work now, I can talk to Ed Bell, the animator and say, Ed, you know, this is what, and we talk this language. And then I'm so blessed to have Craig Dobbin um, as my composer. He's currently doing NCIS Los Angeles as one of the composers. He's worked with me for I don't know how long and I can speak his language of music and it just blew my mind my mind. And it was one of the best experiences I, that I'll be seeking that kind of community the rest of my life. And I just don't see it. You know, it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. You know, men my age are thinking about weird things. What I think are weird. Yes. <laughs> I guess they think what I think about is weird things. You know, it's like, you know, what's your next vacation? What's your house? What's your car where I'm thinking, how am I going to communicate a little bit better and use my art to get inside somebody's soul? That's what I want to talk about.
0: I think, People who have that opportunity to explore the arts in different ways, whether it's, you know, through actual education or just experiencing in their own communities and things like that, I think, do think differently because of that, right? Because it's being op- they're being open up to those other things.
1: Well, you know, I guess, and my wife reminds me that she's kind of a a normie (laughs) and she puts up with me, but she reminds me, it takes all kinds. We do need the accountant, but then it kind of freaks me out. I'm like, where do I really fit in? Is my work super important? I don't know that that's just my own personal things that I go through every time I'm in the process of creating something. But anyways, going back, we all have our place. I guess I have my place too. Apparently, you know, my work has changed or helped instigate or a lot of healing and, a lot, and changed some lives. So that, that's my place.
0: That is your place. Absolutely. So as somebody who makes your living off of your art, what you do, Because creatives and and healers are often don't charge their value, you know, so what are your thoughts on monetizing uh,
1: your art? Do you want me to be honest on that? Or I can just be like, yeah, absolutely (laughs) be honest. (laughs) Then I'm the wrong person to talk about that because here I am on my fourth film trying to figure out how to monetize this. We're trying to finish this film and I'm not going to be able to pay myself through the post and oh, well, My wife and I and our family has been blessed with an amazing business. (laughs) I still have my day gig, you know, I do real estate marketing and I run systems for one of the best real estate teams in Southern California. And this last year we have been blessed. And it's funny because every time this starts to happen, I start to go into a project. I'm going to need some time. For some reason, our business picks up a little bit and I think it's a God thing. For me personally, that him saying, Go work on your calling and I'll take care of you. And that's another thing. It's so easy to like see those things on Facebook. Follow your bliss and do what makes you happy and help others and everything. Well, w- when you're right in the middle of that and you're looking at sending your kids through college and all that stuff, it's and you're like, Well, I don't really have enough money to pay myself this month, you know, to do this work. I have an amazing wife and an amazing family that supports me in this. I work with some great producers. I work with Paulette Lifton and from and she She's in the, you know, PGA, the Producers Guild of America. And she's like, this is an amazing idea. I got to Let me shop it around. So we spent like three months putting together Flash Deck and all this other stuff and a brand new trailer and all this stuff to take to agencies, you know, like Oprah, TLC, Bravo, all those stations. Initially, they're like, we all love it. Then we start talking to them and they're like, what's the hook? Well, the hook is, you know, we do a series about people that have went through trauma or going through very tough things and then about their hope, you know, and how they come through it. Well, what's the hook? I'm like, that's the hook. And I guess it's not it's not good enough for mainstream media. They want to see the hair pulling in the middle of this or the car crash. I don't know. We got to the end of that three-month period and I go to Paulette, I go, I can't do this anymore. I've gotten lost from my process. I've gotten into this business process and not into creating healing work. I go, you can keep pitching it or whatever, but I got to go finish the film with what I have now because I need to do that. I'm not a good person to talk about monetization and I still have this high in the sky that maybe the right person might all of a sudden see my work after four films in 30 years then wow maybe you'll be the guy Mm -hmm. and maybe I already have been and I I don't see it myself my last film Searching for Home Coming Back from War showed over 2300 times on public television that wasn't monetized though (laughs) And, and people please go watch it it's on Searching it's Searching for Home Coming Back from War it's on iTunes and Google Play and everything and we get a check four times a year from that and it's just enough to continue to run the website and continue to keep things maintained so that film can be out there so other veterans can see it. And I'm always moved when I get like an order for a DVD from like Illinois or someplace and I'm like, oh my gosh, somebody's using their money to buy my film because they want to look at it and show it to other people. Mm -hmm. I'm still honored just by one person watching it. But yeah, I'm not good. (laughs) And if (laughs) anybody's out there and they're like, oh my gosh, this guy sounds great, but I know how to monetize, but I don't, you know, look me up, please. (laughs) No, i talked to some people. We've
0: tried. <laughs> There's got to be somebody out there who believes in the work that you do that's willing to give you money for it.
1: Well, there is. I mean, mm-hmm. I got to tell you, we have these funding angels out of Texas. I'll keep them anonymous. But, you know, he saw my film. This gentleman saw my film, Homecoming, A Vietnam Vets Journey, almost 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. And he decided to go on the motorcycle run that was in the film and it changed his life. And so he has him and his wife have a very successful business and, and they reached out to me when I was working on searching for home, coming back from war and we're trying to get it off the ground. My friend, Anthony Edwards, who played Goose and Top Gun, I surfed with him growing up and everything. And he was executive producer and trying to use his leverage to get the film funded. And it was you know, it was falling short. They finally came in and said, "You know, we can help you with this because I want to pay it forward." And that's where a significant amount of the money for Unmasking Hope came from, too. Thank God for them. So I'm very super blessed there. You know, we're on a budget. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, maybe that keeps you somewhat humble, then, right?
1: You know, that's something else I learned about art and about process. Is those things that seemingly can see, seem like a detriment? Oh, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. Or this didn't show up. Or that. I don't have this is that these things these circumstances that seem negative are actually ways to form the creativity that is in your project so are you going to look at the fact that we can't do this we don't have the budget for that are you going to look at that as a negative or are you going to like get your creative thinking hat on and see how am I going to turn this around so it becomes the coolest device anybody's ever seen and make it part of the film I really, really believe that. And I have to, I have a lot of challenges in this, but it becomes a creative challenge. It's not a financial challenge. It becomes a creative challenge.
0: And, and that's so true. And when you think about, you know, the negatives turning into positives and I think about, you know, I was doing my business sort of like on the side of my desk type of thing while I was working full time. And then I lost my job and, you know, everybody was like, oh my God, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm going to put all my energy into my business. This thing that I was doing on the side for so long, all of a sudden became, you know, my sole focus. I could have been like, oh my God, I have to find another job. Or I could have done exactly what I did and be where I am today. So I totally understand that.
1: that, That's so funny that you mentioned that because I was just talking with a friend of mine the other day about when we're in that situation and you're like, this is all I got right now. And this is kind of my dream about buckling down, putting your head down and just pushing through and doing your best Mm -hmm. and hanging in there, you know, until you get the success. That's the toughest thing to do. Again, you know, when you're on the other side and people look at you, they don't see that. They don't (laughs) see that time where you they just see this oh, wow, look what you've done with this. This is amazing. But, you know, it, it, it takes so much guts. And, and yeah. to a certain extent with my films each time, you know, I'm like, okay, five more months, you know, and you got to deliver this, put your head down, get in there and, and keep going. And no matter what.
0: What keeps me going is I don't want to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: Uh, there, there is a there is oh gosh what's his name I, I have to look it up there there was a great artist and he had a whole series of postcards and things and his whole deal was called what is iz art i can't he passed away but his son is still doing his stuff i have this watch that has this guy and the tie is like going around like it's being cut off and it's going around it's one of the hands on the on the watch, this is just say no to real jobs. You know, <laughs> I bet, I've fallen into an amazing job with my wife and I in our real estate business. It's interesting because it's like real, I call it a big boy job. It's interesting as a creative, a creative, I hate calling being, as an artist or whatever, the pressure is kind of off. Even though I have to like meet certain things. Okay, you have this budget, you have to like sell X amount of houses with your team and you have to do this and this. I'm like, okay. That's very, very mechanical. As opposed to when I come into the edit suite and it's like, Eric, you have to tell a story that's going to cut to people's souls. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. And that's like that kind of anxiety is so different <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's me it's like, my, it's me. It's my personality. It's it's not my personality. It's my being. i like, I've interviewed these people. I've shot this thing. And and now I have to deliver it. It's very different than managing salespeople and setting up systems and make, you know, you find the other people that are really good at it and it becomes kind of like mechanical, but man, so that's kind of easy mm-hmm. in a way compared to like what happens when I come into this room. <laughs> I know, you know what I mean, yes. because it's it just, because it's you, it's the inside side of me i've done this since second grade and, I, and even my wife she does get it but she doesn't fully get it it's like man i gotta deliver something that i have this weird thing about i have two new york times reviews you know and that's not the end all for me but it is i do pound my chest a little bit on them. could this be my third <laughs> and i'm like then in the middle of the night i wake up and it's like and the oogly booglies as my mentor calls him the, the oogly booglies start talking to me and say eric
0: film is like a piece of poop it's not gonna work out
1: (laughs) and i'm like oh shit
0: well that fits perfectly into my my question about imposter syndrome and do you ever feel that and if so how do you deal with it
1: i see I swear I'm not kidding. This is hilarious. I remember when Searching for Home came out, and we had a premiere theater chain. It's called the ArcLight. It's in L. A. and everything. And I go, one day I want my film to be in here, and there it was. And I remember seeing it on the in the main theater on the big thing, and they did this whole thing. I don't know if there was a show called Army Wives, and they had the our publicist had the reunion of the Army Wives and Kim Delaney and all these people and all this like TMZ was and everything and like. Whoa, I'm watching the movie and I go, this is good. Who made this? You know, so yeah, I mean, that was just, once I'm out of the trap of like creating it and I watch it, and I'm like, who did that? That's really good. And so when I'm in the middle of it, like you've seen behind me here in my edit suite, looking at everything, man, sometimes I'm like, Christensen, this time it might not come together. And so, yeah, I do. And what do I do to combat it? I just, I call it, excuse the language, I call it gluing my ass to the seat. And I got to tell everybody out there, and I want to tell you about an amazing book, Ed Be- He's an amazing soul, and he's worked with everybody from Ralph Bashki to the all the top agencies as an animator from CalArts, and he did the animation of my kind of mentoring me through this whole thing, you know, artistically. You know, I just need another artist to talk to because he went to CalArts. I wanted to talk about process and what I'm doing, and and he's like, read this book. I'm like, what? I don't want to read a book. Read this book, and it's called The War of Art. Mm-hmm. And I don't have you read that.
0: I haven't finished reading it yet, but I do have it. Yes.
1: I'd recommend that to anybody about getting through the imposter syndrome. It's just getting through all the things that keep you from doing your work. It's from a writer's point of view, but it works for anybody. And he calls it resistance. Resistance comes in in very deceptive, delusional forms. I got to do this. You know what I do? I love to look at tech. I like to make sure I have the right monitor. Oh gosh. And then I'll spend days. You know, I got to make sure my setup's right. I got to organize my, you know, it's just get to work. Mm-hmm. Glue your butt to the scene, get to work and start to create. And even if it's rough, you know, Martin Scorsese said he's never had a rough cut that he didn't hate, you know. But I recommend to your listeners and stuff, The War of Art. It's a guy named Pressfield. It, it just changed my life. And it's so yeah. funny. Ed's like, just read the book. And then I'm like, hey, can we talk now? And he goes, read the book again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, but it was, it was one of the biggest gifts I've gotten is being able to read that book and just learn about all the things I do to keep myself from getting in here and working all the excuses.
0: Yeah. See, and now I need to go back and, and finish reading it because, <laughs> and it's, it's so funny because it, it popped up like three or four times for me. And I usually, by the third time something pops up for me, I'm like, okay, I need to pay attention, right? Somebody will mention it or you'll see it on a commercial or something like that. And so that was one of those, okay, I need to pay attention. And then I, I got busy doing other things. And so it's like, it's now twice this week it's been mentioned again. And I'm like, okay, I need to you go. go back and pay attention. <laughs>
1: And remember what it says. I think it, it the resistance you feel is in direct connection to the importance of your work is to your soul. Mm. So that resistance that you have and the greater it is, Means the more important it is to your soul that you go through it and finish it. And that could be anything. I mean, really, I mean, to the listeners out there, that could be anything. You know, that could just be like making a postcard <laughs> or something, you know, something simple, or it could be making a film, just painting again for somebody that hasn't painted. Or, you know, one of the saddest things I hear is, Oh, I used to love to play the piano, but I just hate it now. I don't want to anymore. Just, you know, and then when I, It's just like, just go, just go do it because the more resistance and the more you feel against doing those things means that something in your soul, it's more important. And I feel that with this, you know, after we, after we're done, you know, I get a few hours in here to work before I go back to real estate land. Then this weekend I'm in here all weekend and then, you know, then it's on edit time.
0: Yeah. So, so what, what creative healing modality do you use for yourself?
1: You know, I belong to an amazing program that is very spiritual based. I guess we can say it keeps my demons at bay, I guess. There's a lot of fellows that probably are, and men and women that are hearing that, and they probably recognize some of the talk I have. I remain anonymous as much as I can. That's a big part of it. I mean, last night I, you know, had a Zoom call with my men's group, with my guys, and and we all talk. You know, one of the most important things, and I mentioned this, is having an older mentor. I call him my sponsor, The guy's 84 years old, hasn't drank or done drugs in 55 years. And I spend an hour to two hours a week with him. Keeps me in check. And this crazy thing up here, but I'm a, I have like kind of a screw loose there. I'm obsessive. I'm an alcoholic, but I haven't drank for 30 years. So that's a big part of it. That's one of my big parts keeping me grounded outside of my art. Now, what I really do for my art, you know, I gotta, I gotta get outdoors. My new, love i've surfed since eight years old but i gotta be real honest i haven't i got out on a board last summer the mechanics are very different now that i'm older i'm gonna conquer it this summer again but the one thing i did do is i started stand-up paddling and oh my gosh there's you're like a huge water bug and the next thing you know you're like your head is my head is going crazy you know it's like all this stuff i gotta do and i'm gonna am i gonna have enough time to finish the film oh, what about this what about work what about the kids Oh my gosh, Will, is he going to go back to school? Is there, you know, the COVID? And then I sit on the dock, stand on my paddleboard, and I start paddling. And the next thing I know I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, God's given me this capable body that can do this paddling. I'm out in this beautiful environment and whew, doesn't happen enough. You know, it's a little bit too cold right now and a little bit rainy, but that's one thing I do. What's really important is keeping in contact with somebody. And, and and having a mentor for me, I, I am constantly looking for people to talk art with. And that's the one side I don't have. You know, Ed is so busy. I just can't call up Ed all the time and chat. Craig, my composer, it's like a breath of fresh air when I get to go up there and work with him and talk to another artist. Kind of in seclusion in a way when I'm working here and, and where I live from an artistic community wise. But, you know, just for my personal sanity and stuff, having my mentor, having my groups, keeping that in order spiritually is very important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if you could change one aspect of our society through your work, what would that be?
1: To create more empathetic people <laughs> or, or that's not really the right to spread the idea, of empathy, to make empathy more common to make empathy the first place you go, maybe. You know, we had, going back to the real estate thing, we had a listing in downtown LA. Man, the homeless problem has gotten very, very bad down there. And I hear some people just so angry about it. One of the toughest things to do is to look at some of those people. And and some of the people, those poor souls are like zombies, literally. I've never seen it that bad. And they're like standing in the street, literally lost. One of the toughest things in the exercise I do is I'm like, They were somebody's baby. That guy was somebody's son. That guy was somebody's daughter. And I think about my kids. And then it's like, oh my gosh, you still have to be safe. These people have some very serious mental health problems that need to be addressed somehow. And uh, that's a big problem. But if I can change things is, is empathy. And so with my films and how that happens is if, if you notice the diversity of my films and the traumas are getting greater and greater, there's more diversity. It's not just veterans and uh, with home, with unmasking hope. And I want to try to create this huge aggregate of different experiences with trauma. But also have people realize that we basically all heal the same, even though it's different modalities, we're healing differently, but it's the same pattern. It's the same art. Mm -hmm. And so when they see the people that 20 years later on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and you see some of these people and they're still putting their life back together, that they don't go, why don't they just get over it? That they realize that it's not that simple, Mm -hmm. you know? It's it's just that's what I try to do with the veterans community. Can't these guys just come home and get a job and be normal or the stereotype of the crazy veteran? What I try to do is tell a personal story and that I keep mentioning trying to get into the soul of the people, trying to like make these commonalities that we and touch on people so they can like connect and then empathize with these people and then not have these rushed quick judgments. Every time they see a homeless person, every time they see a vet, every time they see a 9-11 survivor, that still cries because of what happened and what they went through. You know, there's there's kind of a, this is a whole different thing, but uh, you know, with the empathy and stuff, all these mass shootings we had, and and that's one of the toughest things to see for me when I'm working with the mass shooting survivors. Our time frame of healing has gotten really truncated. <laughs> people expect people to get things o- over things so quickly. And then when we have Mass shooting upon mass shooting, these poor survivors are kind of like, well, mine wasn't as bad. And they kind of lessen, it lessens it to them. And going back to this empathy thing, I want to get back to the fact that these people that went to Route 91, they didn't sign up to be shot at. This still gets me, you know, 58 people didn't come out of a concert and all they wanted to do is hear country music. And then the people that saw that will be forever scarred. I want people to like reach out and touch that and then touch it on their own personal level. I can relate to that. I can relate to that hurt because I lost somebody or something happened to me, but empathy is very important to me.
0: And so important. And I think that that goes hand in hand with the healing work, right? Because as we start to heal ourselves, we can start to have more empathy for other people. But so many people are ignoring their own healing work.
1: I say I don't have another project in me after this, but one thing I've I've always been fascinated by is how we deal with death in the United States. We're more concerned when our poodle dies than we are when our uncle passes away, and we kind of truncate that whole process. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by the cultures that have a very strong system for grieving, and so we have a tendency to truncate our feelings and emotions and it has, it stores up somewhere and it comes out some way and it comes out in a lot of divisiveness and anger and things like that when we don't take care of our own emotions. And, you know, and it's so funny. I see I hear myself saying that now and then I hear this, faction that's in the united states now going just get over it you know because it's like it's just so far one way and it's so far the other way too we can't coddle we can't stop the whole world for somebody to heal but we also can't just tell them to get over it we got to find someplace in the middle and we all have to kind of get behind that. But what you're saying is it takes a significant amount of healing to open up enough and uh, to be vulnerable enough to have empathy. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be able to put yourself in their shoes. Empathy is very different than sympathy. Yeah. Empathy is putting yourself in their shoes. Sympathy is feeling sorry for somebody. And that's not really what people need.
0: What are you the proudest of in your
1: life? Being married to the same woman for almost 28, 29 years coming up. I better check on that <laughs> by June. <laughs> um, we've been together 31 years. And then my kids, you know, my films are pretty cool, and my two New York Times reviews are pretty cool. But when I look at the diversity in my own kids, my daughter is just amazing. She's a very diverse person. She's here's her own drummer. She's so much like me. My middle boy, he goes he goes to freaking he goes to Harvard and plays football back there. You know, if you knew my wife and I, we never, that's not our plan. We don't drive people that way. And my oldest boy, Pete, he graduated from Washington University in St. Louis. And and he's following his dream and he's working with a, a U.S. senator now. I mean, it's pretty amazing. So watching them do their thing and how diverse they are, the thing in my life that I love. And then, then comes my films. But, you know, the imposter th- thing kind of sneaks in Mm -hmm. I still think my New York Times reviews are an accident sometimes and I I question all that but I don't question the connections I have and the beautiful friendships I've made with the people that are in the films so that's kind of that's kind of the order of the things I'm proud of you know and I'm also proud that somehow I've had the willingness to say stay clean and sober for 30 years now and and you know so those are the things Mm -hmm. that matter to me
0: yeah so with all of that, do you have an inspirational quote that you live by?
1: Ralph Waldo Emerson has that beautiful piece about like, gosh, and I don't want to paraphrase it and cut it up. He was a he was Harvard grad, <laughs> but no, he talks about to know to have known you have touched one person's life and made made things better for them. That is success, but it has a whole list to be recognized by others with intelligence to have made a social situation better to have have grown a garden to have to have had children than it has to have changed one person's life basically and that's a beautiful piece but it's it's Ralph Waldo Emerson mm-hmm. you know and then the other one is Teddy Roosevelt the man in the ring I think it's called talks about like how everybody talks a good game thing but it's a man that's like dirty and in in the middle of things that's really changing things and th- those are two of my favorite quotes Mm-hmm. And I've probably completely um bashed them by by misquoting them but those those are my two favorites for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Was well, anything else you'd like to add that we maybe haven't discussed today?
1: Oh my gosh, we went through everything. I just, you know, the one thing I want to say is if anybody's interested, we're literally in the red zone using a football analogy. I had to learn all about football cuz my boys play football. We're literally in the red zone with Unmasking Hope, the movie. We are under the International Documentary Association umbrella, we have a 501c3. So any donations are tax deductible. And if you go to movie.com there's donate buttons. Every little bit helps. You know, we're, we're just so close. The movie <laughs> and the money doesn't necessarily go to fill our pockets. It goes, it goes to other great craftspeople that are helping us put this together to maintain the quality. My films have a very, very high quality. Use the best people. To finish it we have the best mixers we have the best composers as i said searching for home coming back from war 12 million people saw it mm-hmm. so we're gonna we're trying to do the same thing with this god has a plan for it but that's that's where we're at with this we've really kind of covered everything
0: all right well <laughs> we'll make sure we add those links so that people can can do that if they feel moved to do so hopefully they will and i just want to thank you so much for being here and for, for having this great discussion with me today
1: well, Larissa it was very intuitive and very relaxed. Funny because <laughs> I guess, all in a, you know, I'm, I'm 57 and sometimes I think I'm losing my mind. Sometimes I, I think a lot of it is because I'm trying to track hundred hours of footage and I'm trying to run another business and everything like that. But sometimes when I'm on a podcast, I just, I'm at a loss for words. I'm like, I constantly forget things, but this was so nice and intuitive and flowing and the questions I feel very empowered right now. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm getting old. My brain worked really well. So thank you.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad I could make you feel or host that feeling. I don't know if I made you feel that <laughs> host that feeling for you.
1: <laughs> no, it went really well. And I just love talking about the process.
0: Yeah. Well, thank uh, thank you so much. For our listeners, we will see you again next week. And in the meantime, I wish for you amazingly creative days. Do you know about the courses and programs that we offer at Creative View? Meditation and journaling in our Morning Calm program. Step Into Your Authentic Self is a program to help you heal from past traumas and start believing in yourself so you can be your healthiest, happiest you. We even have a Healing with Creativity monthly membership where you get healing projects twice a month, plus so much more. Keep watch as we're always adding more classes and programs. Plus, we offer free challenges, access to summits and retreats, as we love sharing. Click below to see what we have happening now.